This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, we are welcoming Bethany Webster to the show. I sought out Bethany to come and talk about her specialty, which is the mother wound. Today, we're going to unpack what the mother wound is, how it gets handed down from generation to generation, whether this is mom blaming and shaming or not, and also unpack a little bit about the father wound and and what that means and what that looks like. Really, this episode is meant to get to the crux of the weird thing that happens when we become parents and then we find we are healing through our own childhood as we're parenting. Becoming a parent can aggravate or bring to the surface that mother wound or things that have not been healed from our past. This episode today is meant to help us understand and give some context and clarity to what's going on for us and also help us to develop ways to cultivate our own inner mother when we're realizing that there may be gaps in the way that we were parented when we were children. So get ready. This is a really deep and insightful conversation, and I invite you to revisit this a couple of times to really unpack and let it sink in. Before diving in, let's get to the iTunes review of the week. This review comes from Beeler K, and it's titled, A Must Listen for Moms. The first episode I listened to was the one about postpartum body image. What an incredible episode at just the right time. Not only did I love it, but I also shared the podcast with many friends because you tackle many critical points that we need to embrace and be talking about more as women at any point in our journey with our bodies or our babies. Thank you for a thoughtful and supportive podcast. Can't wait to dive into more episodes. Thank you so much for this lovely review. As I always tell you guys, these really nourish me and encourage me that this podcast is making a difference and is making its way into your ears as you're out and about. I see you walking, you know, in the stroller, out for your drive, all the things that you guys tag me in. I love to hear from you and have your feedback. And I especially love to hear that you pass this resource on to mommy friends who could use it. So thank you for leaving this review and let's hear my conversation with Bethany. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Bethany, thank you so much for joining the show. This has been a much anticipated conversation for myself for my membership community and I think the podcast at large because there's just not a lot of resources out there and not many voices or sort of thought leaders um, except for yourself like you're really plowing the way I feel like in terms of this topic of the mother wound and we'll also talk a little bit about the father wound as well and, mm-hmm. and what that might look like so thank you thank you for joining us today thank you Erica it's so awesome to be here thanks for the opportunity to connect with you I love the work that you're doing and I'm really excited about our conversation today I'm really curious and I often start off inquiring about people's stories and how they got into this work because I know for myself and I know for many of the other experts that I work with we have an invested interest in this often right or there's something in, along our path that leads us down this direction. So if you're open to it, would you mind sharing a little bit about how you got, you stumbled your way into this mother wound work? Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely stumbled my way into this. It wasn't anything I ever pictured myself doing at the outset. I just, let's see where to start. Well, I started blogging in 2013 about this because I was going through my own journey 
of discovery around this. In my family, the role I played was very much like, you know, a support person for my parents. They kind of had a, a really tough marriage. And so I was kind of like a peacemaker, mediator, like a support person for my mother. So I kind of grew up very early and I was an overachiever type of a uh, young woman. And But then when I got to college, I just hit a big wall where I had all these symptoms. I had depression. I was having panic attacks. Uh, something wasn't right. I got into therapy and I was like, oh no. <laughs> I realized I had to look at my relationship with my mother, but I avoided it because I was like, I am terrified to look at my relationship with her. And you know, I kind of got into spirituality a lot to try to avoid, you know, the uncomfortable parts. I was like, if I just become more spiritual, maybe it will go away. I'll get better. But unfortunately, I realized that a lot of the patterns and the problems I was dealing with really had to do with the beliefs that I had internalized for my relationship with my mother, you know, mm -hmm. that were very unconscious. So I went really deep into that. Eventually I felt strong enough because I was like, I need to do this. If I don't look at this, I see how it's just going to continue causing problems. So eventually I did. And it was like a, many, many years, but stuff started opening up and I started to realize, oh my God, no one's talking about this, um, but it's so key. It's like this missing piece. Yeah. So as I worked through my own um, mother stuff very deeply, and there's a, there's a whole story in that, I, I started to feel better. Like all the things I was longing for, like feeling better about my body, feeling more confident, just in general, being much more compassionate with myself. Like all of these things became possible through, only through looking at the mother wound. So I really became passionate because I was like, I want to share this with other women because I started to see friends and colleagues kind of dealing with similar issues, but yeah. misattributing the causes. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, oh gosh, you know, we're all dealing with this to some degree. So I started blogging and almost immediately had worldwide recognition for the work. Women saying, yes, I want to talk about this. No one's talking about it. Come do a workshop, come help us. And so it kind of started this, this is around 2014-ish. So I developed like a kind of a coaching program and then a course. So I just kind of kept building the work and it just kept growing. And mm -hmm. so it seems like it's coinciding as well with what's happening in the world where we're starting to see patriarchy being dismantled in our culture around the world, a lot of the problems that we've been dealing with. And the mother wound is a result of patriarchy. It's part of it. It's part of how culture lives in us. So it seems like a perfect time you know, how it all kind of came about. Yeah. It's fascinating to me because I see the need. I work day in and day out with female clients who are adjusting to motherhood. And one of the, the tasks of becoming a mom, if we look at like matrescence and sort of the developmental tasks of, of yeah. that role, one of them is kind of reconciling your upbringing with your approach to mothering. So it takes right. us automatically. It's like we're in the present mothering and it's within every present moment, uh, we have one foot in the past reliving totally. our childhood events. And this is something that's come up. Um, it comes up in so many of my sessions, but is not really talked about. And it's mm -hmm. interesting. I had a, a really sort of profound session with a client and, and she said like, I just really uh, grasp onto end can resonate with the term undermothered because it's not to say I wasn't mothered. It's not to say that uh, I hate my mother or I, you know, want to lash out against her or mm -hmm. anything like that. It's to say that I just feel that in certain areas I was undermothered. And I ran with this concept a little bit and I shared a post about it on my Instagram page. And I got some serious blowback. Because how dare I speak out about the sacredness of mothering, right? And about mom shaming and mom blaming. And there were a lot of people, mind you. Like if we were to put a percentage, I want to say like 95% of people or 90% of people were very appreciative to have terminology to put to this yeah. in this hurt. But there was a very loud 10, 10 to 15% who was like, this is what is wrong with the world that we you know, speak of mothers this way. Yeah. And I actually turned to your resources in that moment because I was like, it's, it's not, this is not mom blaming. And I think that we need to put this disclaimer off yeah. the before we get into it, because we cannot heal our wounds if we don't understand where they came from. 
Absolutely, Erica. Thanks so much for saying that. Yeah, I experienced a ton of blowback as well. And I think that's that's part of the problem, right? It's like in this culture, mothers are either idealized, like they can do no wrong, so we can't question them, or they're blamed for everything. You know, they do all the wrong. So there's this wounded relationship that our culture has with, it's really rooted in how our, our culture is actually misogynist. And so we don't value women really in this mm-hmm. culture. So mothers are either blamed or idealized. There's no middle ground for mothers to be human, right? To have right. positive, you know, amazing qualities, but also challenges and limitations like every other human being gets to have, right? So I see like, it's painful, right? To look at ways that we were undermothered or ways that our mothers fell short. But ultimately I see it as, bringing women and children into the center of society so that mothers can have the real honor and respect that they deserve. But we have to look at our capacity to harm as much as our capacity to give life. Like it's part of the reality-based lens that mm-hmm. we need to look at ourse- ourselves through. And I think it's very threatening for some people because for generations, we've been taught this false equivalence that if we look at all at our relationship with our mothers, we're automatically blaming them. So there's no room though. That's very confining. That right. keeps us very much in this place of, we have to be silent about our truth. We, we can't, we're very confined by that as in other ways. So mm-hmm. I think part of this is a temporary time in our culture where we're in these growing pains of stretching how we see ourselves as women and how the culture sees women in a more holistic respectful way. If we don't do this, I don't think there's a way for women to have the true respect they deserve because Mm -hmm. there's going to be this shadow and underground turbulence that we're not naming. And that does more damage. Well, then there's so much shame and guilt because just because we don't speak it out loud and we don't name it doesn't mean it's not festering, right? Exactly. These wounds and these feelings are there and they're festering. And if there is not a a space for us to talk about our true feelings and like name it to tame it, kind of what is coming up for us and and understand Mm -hmm. it, then we're walking around in shame and guilt. And and our inner critic is actually still convincing us that we are the ones that are flawed. And this is where when we unpack the mother wound and some of the, the pieces of this that I think is so important is that As egocentric little human beings, when we're children, we internalize these things with our parents and the things that are said or some of this being parentified as us not doing a good enough job or as us not being good enough. And all of these beliefs that get internalized, we don't learn to break that cycle. We don't learn to change the thought pattern. We don't learn to embrace and cultivate self-compassion if we can't heal and look at these pieces. Right. So Absolutely. it's, it's fundamental. It's important. The disclaimer here being that we can hold space for our mothers and their pain. And the fact that they came from generational traumas and all kinds of different mm-hmm. pieces for them, we can hold that space and respect. And we can also validate our own pain and experience and heal and unpack and explore that. Yeah. I like to say that we can, Our mothers may have tried her best. You know, our mothers did the best they could with the skills and the tools and the awareness they had. And our feelings matter. Right. And we may have suffered as also. So the two, we have to hold them both together. And I think as women, we start to feel this pressure, like, well, we just have to erase our pain by focusing on how our mother tried her best. And then we, we silence ourselves, but it's, it's like this learning to hold both with equal love and respect. Like our compassion for our mothers should never eclipse compassion for ourselves. We need to hold them together. Yes, I love that. And I appreciate that. Why don't we get into defining the mother wound? And I just also want to say that Bethany just released a book last week. It came out. I had pre-ordered it in like October or November. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Yes. Discovering the Inner Mother uh, by Bethany Webster. And I have the audible version, which I chew through on my, you know, quiet momming moments, which there are not many of right now. But <laughs> It's interesting. I really could relate to your story that you open up with kind of, I went through a very high conflict custody and access assessment with my parents and it was very hostile. And, you know, Mm. until I got married, they couldn't still be in the same room together. And so there was a lot of parentified, there was a lot of caretaking behaviors and 
you know, prioritizing my parents' needs before my own. And so I found myself really relating to your story. So can we unpack and define what the mother wound is essentially? Absolutely. So I define the mother wound with four levels. There's the personal, the cultural, the spiritual, and the planetary, and they're all linked. But the most important one for all of us is really the personal mother wound. That's the the kind of ground zero. And what, what I mean by the personal mother wound is it's really about the dynamics with our mothers, whatever they were, that caused us to unconsciously limit or self-sabotage ourselves. It's kind of like how we internalize those dynamics in ways that cause us to limit, sabotage, not feel good enough, or feel like too much. And the mechanics of how that happens is, is a little complex, but it's basically a combination of our mother's trauma, right? So she went through some degree, you know, and all this is on a spectrum, right? So this is all on a spectrum, but our mother's living in like a patriarchal society. There's this atmosphere that says women aren't good enough. Women are less than, right? And so this atmosphere permeates every part of our culture as well as our families. So our mother's are very important here. She's primary because number one, she gives birth to us. We come from her body and also developmentally, you know, our habits start out as her habits. You know, our beliefs start out as her beliefs. So we internalize so much about who our mothers are as a person to form our own sense of self. Mm -hmm. So what this means is we internalize deeply into the very fabric of our being, into our brain chemistry what our mother believed, how she, you know, treated us or, you know, all of that stuff gets factored into how we see ourselves, how we see the world, how we see each other, how we see our bodies. It's all baked in. And so those developmental needs of love, safety, and belonging get mixed with that cultural atmosphere that says women are less than and messages like don't rock the boat, don't be too big, put your needs last before other people. So our mothers also covertly or overtly teach us these messages about how to be a woman in society, you know, Mm -hmm. how to be accepted, how to be safe. So it's kind of this intersection between culture and attachment. And, you know, feminists have been saying for decades that, you know, the family is where that transfer of values happens. Mm -hmm. So in a way, we're talking about how patriarchy lives in us we're set up in some ways to subjugate ourselves as a way to stay safe. And mm-hmm. even some of our mothers internalize this from her own mother and from her grandmother, you know, it goes down the generations. So a mm-hmm. lot of this is just unconsciously inherited stuff that we just internalize, but also part of its trauma that gets passed down. So that's really the personal, the personal mother wound. And it really comes down to the inner child. So there's a little girl inside of all of us who is stuck to some degree based on the pain we experienced in our childhood homes. We all have some degree of that. And I like to think of her like the gatekeeper of our upper limits. She wants to keep us safe, right? So even if we have these big dreams and these big desires, especially in times of stress and and depletion, we're going to revert back unconsciously to those safety algorithms, I call them, Mm. to, to stay safe. And so it looks like self-sabotage on the outside, but what can really be happening is the inner child is just trying to stay safe based on those early childhood algorithms for safety that we learned in our families. Those things that kept us safe as children, approval, like we literally needed our mother's approval to survive, right? So there's this focus on the external, but that can still stay active long into our adult lives where you know, we feel these barriers just keep coming up, the same types of troubles and challenges. And that's a sign that the inner child, she needs help. And mm-hmm. so the work is really about how do we bring in an inner mother consciousness who helps that child kind of release that attachment to those old patterns and start to attach to a loving inner mother who can give her all those, those needs for reassurance, you know, feel that, I call it the mother gap. Mm-hmm. But it's like you were saying, feeling undermothered. So many of us didn't get enough love, reassurance, celebration, encouragement, right? But we can give that to ourselves. And in so doing, we can go beyond what I call the maternal horizon, the limits of where our mothers and our grandmothers have gone. We can actually, through that inner safety, start to feel much more unstoppable and creative. 
It's really interesting for me to reflect on these pieces of what we do or the, I guess, coping strategies, I would call them, or the ways that we learn to cope growing up as a result of this environment, right? Like in these early stages, I think about my own self, perfectionism, pleasing, never wanting to rock the boat, like really trying to keep people happy because, you know, let's not set anybody off, kind of walking on eggshells, like a burden because the adults in your life are going through such turmoil that there's very little space to meet your needs. So everything feels like a burden when you're just a child, you know, like these pieces and those things absolutely carry forward with us into our adult years and then into our own mothering of wanting to get it right and wanting it to be perfect Mm -hmm. and feeling it like an imposter, like we're not doing it properly but we so often don't associate it back to this little human who was just trying to keep their caregiver happy because literally their whole survival depended upon that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I find so exciting, Erica, is that in this work, it's about doing that unfinished business, right? Like going back and and going to the root of some of these patterns that we're dealing with as adult women, but that they can only be resolved in the context of where they started. And so part of what I teach women to get into the habit of let's find that link. If a trigger comes up, a repeating problem, there's a kind of inquiry process where we can get more insight into, oh, you know, this came from a legitimate time I suffered and I was overcompensating to try to get through something. It's actually outlived its usefulness Mm -hmm. and I can choose something different, but the child in me has to feel safe enough. You know, I need a lot of reassurance before I can change. right? Right. Yeah. And so... Another really big question that comes up, mothers are often the focus because one, they're usually the primary caregiver, right? Yeah. The ones who often birth. And obviously we know that we come to motherhood on different journeys in this group or however, but often they're the ones that carry and the ones that feed, whether it's nurse or bottle feed or whatever. And then we stay home often and obviously yeah. that rule, but often we're the primary caregiver. And so, so much emphasis, even in psychological research and attachment research gets placed on mom because mom is the one who is most present with the children. That's just sort of like the role often generationally that we've fallen into. So a lot of the question comes up. So like, what about dads? What about a father wound? Is that a thing? And why mom versus dad? And what is your response sort of to that usually? Yeah, absolutely. Both parents have such a huge influence, you know, each individually, but then also their interaction has such an influence on us growing up. I come from the daughter perspective. I don't have children myself. And I think this actually helps because number one, I have, I've had the time and space to put so much research and time into this without having my own children. But also I see what I do as really being an advocate for the child inside the mother. So I'm not just advocating for children of mothers. I'm advocating for the little girl inside of each mom. Yeah, for mom herself. For For mom herself, who is feeling overwhelmed, burdened, unappreciated, devalued, you know, all of that. So the reason I mentioned that is because I think it's important that women just understand that. And I've worked with a lot of moms myself that, and it's been amazing because what I see is that when, when moms have some measure of time to focus on the little girl inside themselves and start to build that inner safety, they feel more energized. They feel less burdened because the child in her is getting her the needs met. Mm-hmm. And there's not like this extra labor of having an inner child freaking out inside of you. So anyway, it just, there's a real direct relationship between mothering the self and mothering the children. Um, Does that make sense? Totally. And so I have this journal called the Motherhood Roadmap, and it is essentially the premise being that we are mothers and we are mothering. So the roadmap that we have to approach our mothering has been handed to us from our mother, whether we like that roadmap or not. Yeah. It's been given, right? And so this journal that I have helps us to examine the roadmap that's been given to us, understand our own values, and sort of come up with our own definition of what we want to carry forward from what our mother has given us and what we want to do differently. Yes, um, great. So I think that from that perspective, the mother wound is critical specifically for women because it is the 
the roadmap that is handed down to us, right? Yes, there are father wounds. Yes, we have experiences with our fathers, but our fathers teach us how like a father should be in the home, not how we should be carrying out our role of motherhood. So I think that it, it, like you said, there is just really this important distinction there because it's kind of this map that we've been given or a lack of a map. And it's interesting because Mm -hmm. in this high conflict divorce that I went through with my parents, my dad was awarded custody and I lived with my dad for a number of years. Oh gosh, I want to say like a a large part of like my preteen, adolescent through teens and, and kind of into young adulthood. And so I never pictured myself as a mother. I never daydreamed about being a mother. Mm -hmm. I never wanted to be a mother. I had no idea what motherhood would look like for me. And it's because I did not have an, like, I didn't have an example of a mother for Mm -hmm. a large portion of my life. Mm -hmm. And while I did have a relationship with her and I saw her every other weekend and things like that, it was like day to day, something that was intricately woven into my life. And so a lot of the wounds that I carry, when you talk about your story initially in your book and you open up, the relationship you had with your mother is much like the relationship that I had with my father. Interesting. Yeah. So I had this father wound that I had to unpack. There was this being providing caretaking role that was there and and uh, sort of like me being the one at 12 years old to get up and get everybody out the door to work in school. Yeah, I'm now the woman in the home versus having that being attributed to my mother. Yeah. And stepping into my motherhood role, which is funny now I have three kids and I run a whole motherhood platform, which is so ironic, but feeling like just this absence of a roadmap. Yeah, totally. That's so fascinating. Yeah. It's like we get a script, a roadmap from our mothers, what's expected, what's, what's good, what's bad. And then And a lot of it's unconscious. So we just, and there's no initiation process like in our culture where it's like, this is what your mother taught you. Now you're an individual. So society kind of encourages this enmeshment with mothers generally. So I I think your story is actually really interesting because it is quite different. But yeah, it's like fathers definitely play a role. But because we have this same kind of gender identification with our mothers as women, we share and we tend to internalize even more deeply into our fibers. What is a woman? What is a mother? What's possible for me? And in that early environment, we learned how much individuality is tolerated. You know, how safe is it to go beyond the bounds of what our parents did? And the more dysfunctional our families are, the less individuality is tolerated. So it's like this process we need to do to unpack. Like, I love how you said the cognitively, like, looking at what did I receive that I needed and what do I want to do differently? Like that's such a key piece. Another piece that I kind of add to that in my work is a lot of this emotional work around grieving, like Mm -hmm. grieving because I see a common problem a lot of women have is what I call the impossible dream, which is this dream, like an unconscious dream that someday my mom will change if I just do X, Y, Z. You know, we're going to have a great relationship once I just explain myself a little more, or it can be this hamster wheel, but it's really an echo of that early survival mechanism we had as kids. Like you said, when we're little humans, we think we're the cause of everything and that we can change everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But part of, I think our growth as women is to let go of that attachment to our mothers being different than they are. Mm -hmm. And that takes a little bit of emotional work. But ultimately, it allows us to be the moms that we want to be and to be the women we want to be, which could be radically different from what we grew up with. But we have to have that kind of self-blessing and Mm self-permission to go there. We need the support to do that because a lot of our moms and grandmothers and great-grandmothers, it was all about conformity. You know, acceptance was all about how much you were like them or how much you reflected their values. And, And our fathers, of course, played a role in that. Yeah, like when I think about the role like that the father wound played for me specifically, it's more about trusting in my romantic relationships, being able to be vulnerable yeah. with my partner. Like that played out in a very different way for me mm-hmm. than having to unpack the stuff with my mom and what that means for me as a mother and as a woman. Like, so it's there and it's present and it yeah. needed work, but it was a very different type of work, right? 
One of the things that you talk a lot about, um, like on your website and your various resources, is the societal or cultural messages that are kind of bestowed on mothers and that are really ingrained throughout the generations. Can we highlight a few of those? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of the messages that moms get are, they're contradictory. They're superhuman. You know, things like motherhood should be natural to you. You should know how to do it. If it's not natural, there's something wrong with you. You should be able to manage, you know, children looking fabulous, a great marriage. You know, you're supposed to handle everything and well, if you don't, there's something definitely wrong with you, you know? So it's like superhuman standards. They're often contradictory and there's no, there's no room for women to be humans in this picture. And I think we're a really awesome generation in the sense that I think we're seeing more than any other generation, just how bullshit all that is, you know, just how absolutely yeah. impossible and ridiculous, absurd these standards are. So what I see in the women I work with is like, when we heal the mother wound, we really get more confident in rejecting those. Yeah. Because it's like the deeper we internalize them often it was all mixed up with our need for love and safety and belonging. So it's like scary. It's, it can feel like life or death sometimes to let go of what we've known, what we've been taught. It can feel like, oh my gosh, am I going to be loved and accepted if I really step into how I want to do this? Like, am I going to be, am I going to belong? You know, some of these really primitive fears come up when we go beyond the path. Like, do I need to remain like small and quiet and agreeable? in order to gain my acceptance and connection to those around me? Or can I be, it makes me think of Untamed by Glennon Doyle, can I be this sort of like cheetah lion that I feel like I am and still gain love and acceptance as a result of that, right? And so it really does challenge these core, will I be loved? Will I be accepted type of feelings? Yeah, totally. Core belonging, core needs, right? They're core. They're so core. And I think that's why the the mother wound gets passed down generation through generation. And it's really exciting for me because I'm watching how the work is taking place. And it's like, I think this is how we dismantle patriarchy. It's like we dismantle our attachment to these values that seemed like survival, life and death, right? But we have to learn slowly and gently through lots of support, sisterhood and tools that it's actually safe for us to do this, that we're not going to, you know, be starving and abandoned if, if we do it differently, that there are other women. So I like to say, you know, we're building a new mother line across cultures and across, you know, across the world, even across time, as we start to feel safe enough to discard some of these old values that are very harmful to us and to children and the future. And also there's this, you know, atmosphere of the planet right now and, and the climate change. And there's an urgency here to, I think, see the link between our personal challenges and the collective. Hmm. And I think through, through my work, I trying to help women make that link, like your inner healing is crucial in this really urgent sense. It's not just like, you know, you're just one person out of a billion on the planet, but like, I think every woman who does this profound inner work is actually helping to create new norms and for moms and, and new potential for women. But it's like letting go of these old things, being confident, breaking rules. So it's like, we have to, in a way, be rebels to truly heal. But in doing so, we're like clearing that path for a new way. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. 
That's zocdoc.com slash momwell. Zocdoc.com slash momwell. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mealtime with kids can be stressful. But with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. It makes me think about how, how many women stay quiet and small and play, you know, according to the rules and values that have been handed down and how many problems are not getting solved because we need their voices or we need oh, yeah. their skills or we need their talents and, mm-hmm. and we've been conditioned to stay small. And so I, I think that this healing, even in my own life, has unlocked my perspective to do whatever the F I want, I call it. It's like my yeah. life. I'm like, wait, who told me I couldn't do that? I do whatever the F I want. And, and my husband jokes and he's like, I know you do whatever the F you want. Like, you know, <laughs> And it's not out of like entitlement, but it's out of a, I can challenge what I've been taught I need to be and do, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So can we, you highlight what the mother wound shows up like. So if there's a mom who's listening right now or a woman who's listening right now, and she's like, I don't really know. Like, do I have a mother wound? Do I not? Like, how would she know? What does that look like? Yeah, that's a great question. There's a lot of different ways it can show up. And it, like I mentioned, it's a spectrum and it can be different like intensity for some women. So, it, but some of the markers that I've seen for the mother wound for women across the board have been themes like a lot of shame. So like if you're noticing a shame-based narrative inside of you, constantly kind of having thoughts like I'm not good enough, you know, or I'm too much, feelings like guilt, comparison, like feeling that sense of comparing yourself to other people all the time, fears of abandonment coming up that are like disproportionate to the situation, romantic relationships, challenges there, because usually whatever deficits we had with our primary attachment figures as babies and children, that will show up in the romantic relationship, the work to be done there. But it's usually around abandonment or invasion, right? Mm -hmm. So this feeling of like, I'm going to be left alone. How can I prevent that? you know, from the very simple, like, how can I belong in this friend group or this mom group? Or it could be so profound as like, oh my gosh, I want to tell my truth to my partner, but I'm afraid if I really speak my truth, I might, this might relationship might be over. So I would say, just look at what are the repeating challenges that you experience in your life? What are the things that keep reappearing? That's the biggest clue that if it's something that shows up through the years that feels like a dead end, there's something there for you that wants to be resolved, that wants to be healed. And I always invite women to also think about that feeling. If you notice what it is, 
how does this relate to your early childhood? What were the experiences or the memories that you had that feel similar to this current uh, repeating challenge? There's usually a link and it's really exciting when you can find the link between, oh yeah, I was really undermothered as a child and I'm looking to my partner to really give me that feeling that I'm safe and that I matter. There can be real easy links that you can find that can ease that feeling that there's nothing wrong with you. The pain you're experiencing is no fault of your own. It's no flaw. It just shows where you didn't get something you needed in your early environment. Mm-hmm. So it's part of this is like shedding the shame that like, there's nothing wrong with you. You just, you're trying to get a need met that wasn't met back then. Yeah. And the good news is that once you identify it, you can start to fill it and meet it yourself in various ways. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that I've done most of my healing or like a huge chunk of it in my secure attachment with my partner. Yes. It's been a very soothing presence in my life. And then becoming a mother took that even like, there's a whole other sort of redefining of ourself that took me into this other level of healing. So there's been sort of these sort of tears or kind of markers in my life, these milestones or roles that I've stepped into that have caused sort of a mirror to come up, right? To reevaluate some of these things that I've been living and experiencing. One of the things that you also talk about that I find fascinating is this idea of sort of like the double bind of daughters and and sort of this pattern that happens. Can you share about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I think what you're referring to is the sense that as women, and even as young as little being little girls, there's the sense that I can be loved if I like wear a mask or if I show up as other people want me to be. But if I'm myself, I might lose myself, right? So there's a loss. I think the double bind is there's a loss either way. Like if we be who other people want us to be to get approved of, we lose ourselves, Mm. right? And that's a deep loss. Part of this healing is reclaiming all of those parts we had to put in shadow or suppress that weren't acceptable or approved of by our primary caregivers. So that's a big piece. And also in relationship, the sense that, you know, can I be myself and be loved? Or is this, you know, especially this fear of being powerful. If I'm powerful, I might be rejected because Mm -hmm. we don't have many models in our culture of powerful women who are loved and honored. The ones who are loved and honored are usually the most yielding and submissive. Right. Yeah. And otherwise they're labeled all kinds of nasty women and, you know, things like that, the labels that are, are placed on them. When I think about the double bind, I think of that, like you said, not like putting on a mask or not like living to our full potential. And it reminds me back to, it was like this package I had downloaded of yours where like we martyr ourselves or like because our moms, let's say, have martyred, like given up all their hopes and dreams for motherhood, which is what they've been told by culture and society needed to do. Um, They then see their daughters go out and maybe do motherhood differently or maybe do motherhood differently. And how that can sometimes in mothers towards their daughters stir up resentment or like when they see them surpass or like when, when let's say if my mom was to look at me and see that I'm not martyring myself in motherhood with my three children, I'm, I'm building a business and I'm also mothering and I don't feel like I have to give up either or to do that. Women in previous generations who have had to or who sacrifice or who have martyred those things can have resentment towards their daughters or like there can be different reactions, I guess. Yes, absolutely. So what you're describing, it is really powerful because women of other generations, they had to sacrifice themselves because of patriarchy, but there's a deprivation that lives inside, right? There's a real loss. And in our culture, like a there's no, for more kind of feeling like a yeah, long, like they lost something, but there's no place in our society that honors what women have had to sacrifice for motherhood. So it goes underground and that's so big. Can you say that again? Like, can we just highlight that, that there has been no place. And and when you say patriarchy, can you, for somebody who may not be familiar with that term, kind of unpack what it is we mean when we say that? Oh yeah. I define it in the most broad terms, which is basically the cultural atmosphere that doesn't value women. It values men, you know, women are kind of subordinate. Yeah. Yes. And our mothers often come from this culture in society where there was no room for them to be anything other than mother. Like that's what you're saying, right? 
Exactly. They had no choices other than that, other maybe a secretary or a nurse or a mom. You know, those were their three choices. So, and I think that's why this is really about honoring moms. It's like honoring the lost dreams and the lost genius of all these women that culture has said, no, you can't have that. You're not good enough or you're too much. You're down here. But there's this kind of rot of female potential that has turned into resentment and entitlement because the culture has given women no place to put that. And of course, if there's the only place a woman has to have power is in the home. And we think about also in past generations, domestic violence and addiction has been taboo and untalked about. So there's all these women stuck in homes with children, possibly drinking or having mental health issues and no place to put their pain. Right. Of course, it's going to be traumatizing the children. That's the only outlet of power they had for generations. And so, of course, these women are suffering and the children are suffering. And there's been no truth has been told about Mm -hmm. that. I mean, even now there, there's not many places for women to tell their stories. Um, So it's about that loss of self and how that gets perpetuated and passed down, even in the best of situations with moms are like, I want to protect and honor my kids. But even in the best of situations, there's always a piece of that loss of self. And then like the next generation is like, well, what do I do with that? I see how my mother suffered. I don't want to contribute to that by triggering her by doing things differently. But that's really what every female child is is born with, is this feeling like, I want to live my potential. I want to be myself. So there's this competition almost between the mother's pain and the daughter's life force. And how sad is that, you know, Mm -hmm. that each generation can feel the weight of her mother's pain to some degree, but there's no place for her to talk about it. So I think that's Mm -hmm. part of this work is like kind of taking it all out of the shadows and that taboo Mm -hmm. and out in the open so that women can have their potential and power, but without the guilt and the shame of doing so. Yeah. Well, and I see that a lot when working with moms who are adjusting to motherhood and and balancing their relationship with their mom is one feeling guilt. Like they're now in a position where they they know how hard motherhood was. So it gives us another layer of compassion for our mother. So there is that space, that holding of her and understanding how not like how difficult it was and how like my mom had two kids at 21 and we were 11 months apart. Like I can't even imagine. Right. So I can hold space for that pain in a different way. But then also a a lot of things that come up in sessions are things like, well, when I say, you know, I want to take this approach to parenting or mother in this way, um, my mom will become very defensive on how she mothered or it, it becomes about, well, like I did it this way. And it was good at the time. I don't know, like this, like you said, that like competition or that competitiveness that that can come up. And yeah, it makes me just think about, like you said, all that had to be sacrificed in previous generations and how like that was the main for a lot of women, main way that they define themselves. That was their main role, their main identity. identity. Exactly. If you, if you question it, if you're just innocently making choices as a new mom, but it's like, she might take it as you're threatening her very identity. Right. And that's kind of what I experienced with my mother. It was like, I was actually just attempting to have a relationship with her in a new way. Yeah. And she took that as a complete betrayal and attack. Mm-hmm. And so it became untenable for us. It's like, I became this empowered new person with a different kind of identity, but it was so threatening because she hadn't developed enough of her own separate kind of identity outside of motherhood. It's really complex you know? Mm -hmm. And and I think it's really this missing piece in feminism. Like if we as women are going to change the landscape of our potential and what's possible, we have to look at these little underground pieces because they have power. The more, like you said earlier, what we name, we tame, like we have more power over it. It has less power over us when we can talk about it like this. Mm -hmm. I'm curious what you would say about how we start to cultivate our inner mother. So like, let's say a a woman is listening and, you know, she's discovered as she stepped into motherhood or otherwise that like, you know, there's just been this really painful experience in her upbringing with her mother that maybe she never saw before. And it's interesting because when I talk to a lot of clients about what secure attachment is, it is to feel safe, secure, soothed, and seen. Mm -hmm. And how often many of the clients that come to me, they, they felt 
like relatively safe and secure in the sense that they like they were provided for and you know like physical needs were met but they didn't feel like attuned to or they didn't particularly feel soothed and so as they become a parent who tries to embody those traits with their child they look back and realize how that may have lacked for them and so if there is a, a woman who's who is feeling like yeah I, I i think i have a mother wound i think I struggle with that where where do we go from here yeah absolutely some of the first steps that i like to recommend to get go- some attachment going with your inner child is really simple is just to start with like internally connecting with her on a daily basis. So I tend, like I recommend getting a picture of yourself that you really like of yourself when you were a little girl and just looking at it every day and really being curious, be curious about this little girl. And then also I would just say connect with her throughout the day. Something simple is like, you know, hey little Bethany, I want you to know that I see you and I'm with you and you know, I'm here to take care of you now. That you didn't do anything wrong. You never did anything wrong and all your feelings are okay with me, right? So that's something simple that you can start to say inwardly. It almost always feels awkward and clunky and and that's okay. But the point is to just express interest on a consistent basis to this little girl that you were. Mm -hmm. Another way to think about it is what did you miss looking at the mother gap? You missed that attunement. You missed that soothing. I can tell you an example of one thing that really helped me. There was a period where I just kept saying to my inner child, I'm here, I'm here with you. I'm right here with you. I would, I said it like, you know, 40 times throughout the day, you know, it takes like literally half a second, but it really healed this little piece in me, which was that I was left alone a lot and I was not, you know, no one was checking in. And so my inner child felt this amazing, like abundance of mother, like, wow, she's still here. You know, she's still here and she's, she's, she's not going anywhere. So it doesn't have to take up a lot of time, but it's about that sincerity, that interest in kind of bringing some maternal energy towards that little girl inside of you. Mm -hmm. And also some empathy. When I teach, there's this little handy phrase I give, which is like validate and differentiate. So we validate the feelings of the child. Like, of course you would feel scared and anxious. You were left alone. You didn't get enough reassurance. You weren't soothed. And I want you to know that now I'm here as your adult self, your inner mother, Big Bethany. Now I'm here as your big B to help you soothed and safe. So that was the differentiation piece, like that differentiates the past from the present and me from her. So there's a little bit of like, I like to say we need to differentiate to fully integrate. Mm -hmm. Child and us and the adult are mixed up for most of us. And a lot of us can have moments where we like collapse into this little girl place where we feel urgency and impulsiveness, reactivity. That's a sign that that child needs help. Anytime you feel panic or desperation or impulsiveness, that's the child freaking out. But over time, you can build this inner reservoir of connection. It's like a thread that you just keep internally connecting with the child. You can do it also through writing, you know, journaling every morning, like, good morning, little bee. You know, we're going to have a great day. It's like almost treating it like a child, like you literally have a child with you, but you start to build trust through checking in, just the small action of checking in with the child. For some people, it's really hard. The child is in a place of not trusting. So it really can take a while to feel this yummy feeling building inside of you of connection. Mm -hmm. And what I like to recommend for that is people can say to their inner child, like, I know it's going to take a while for you to trust me because you've gone through a lot. You know, a lot of people have let you down, but I want you to know, little B, that I'm committed to connecting with you and supporting you. And you can take as long as you need before you trust me. You know, Mm -hmm. the inner child is a really good bullshit detector. So if we try to do it in this kind of like superficial cursory way, it's not going to work. So the sincerity, the desire, the consistency of showing up, helps to get a lot of ground covered quickly with building a sense of inner trust. As that trust builds, your life changes in a variety of ways. For me, um, and what I see in a lot of women is just an overall sense of more spaciousness, more calmness, more joy starts to bubble up. And then sometimes more painful stuff, as the trust gets wider and deeper, more stuff might bubble up to be looked at, more grief. It's kind of like the the safer you feel to the inner child, the more 
material will be coming up from your past that wasn't safe enough to process at the time to be held and welcomed. So rule of thumb is what did you need back then that you didn't get enough of and start giving that to yourself now? It could be like a little mantra, like all your feelings are okay with me. Now that's a big one because so many of us were taught that emotions are bad, weak, to be hidden, that our feelings were too much, you're too sensitive. Mm-hmm. So even just opening that door to that concept that, you know, you get to have all your feelings and I'm here to welcome your feelings. I remember in my journey, one thing that was really powerful was accepting the anger of my inner child. Like, tell me everything you're angry about. I want to hear about it all. You mm-hmm. know, no one ever said that to me as a child. As a child, I was shamed or withdrawn from when I was angry. Mm-hmm. So I brought the complete opposite value to it, which was tell me everything you're angry about. I want to understand. I want to hear it. And this, it all builds self-trust, you know, when the trust is built within the child and the mother inside, the attachment actually gets formed with this new inner mother, you know, self that you are. And the attachment with your outer mother, with her limitations and flaws starts to dissolve. So when the Mm -hmm. attachment starts to be sufficiently created inside of yourself, you can more easily go beyond, you can easily go beyond the old values and into something brand new. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's very incremental. Right. Does that make sense? Totally. So it's this idea of reparenting our inner child and showing up for ourselves and our needs in a way that we were not sort of nurtured or cared for when we were younger. And I think that a big misconception and something that often comes up even in sessions is like, you talked about this, I call it like hope finding or holding on to hope where, you know, our mother is just going to like be different or we're going to have a conversation and healing the mother wound from what I'm understanding and from how I often approach it is not necessarily about the actual relationship between mother and daughter. Cause we may not, we don't know how willing or able our mom is to have the healthy relationship with us now that we need just because we've uncovered that we, you know, this relationship was unhealthy and that there are things that we need from her doesn't mean that she's in a place or has the capacity to provide them for us now. Right. Yeah. Actually that's part of the healing is to let go of the attachment to her ever giving it to us. Right. To we are now the responsible ones. Yeah. Grieve that it was not provided for us and that we don't stay in this place of expecting it from her, but we show up for ourselves in that way. Exactly. Exactly. Cause, and that's really empowering because think about it, your well being is no longer dependent on her acting or being a certain way, wow. which it was back then. But now it's like your primary source of love and support and nurturing is inside you. And you're in control of that more in control now. Right. And you have so much love inside of you. That's all yours. It's really not about the external anymore. Mm -hmm. It's really about tapping into this sense of safety inside. Yeah. I find that that's a very hard thing. Like in therapy, when I'm working with women, like how do we grieve something that is potentially right in front of us, right? How do we grieve what we want our mom to be or this expectation of how we want her to show up for us? Uh, And she watches our child a couple of times a week and we're involved, right? right? So there is this, it can become complex and it be, can be complicated if it's almost, I say easier, but not like in different ways. Like if we were estranged or had distance, we can kind of grieve a loss in a different way. But right. to grieve our mom showing up for us and meeting our needs in a way that she's kind of present can become complicated and can take time and intentional working through with a therapist. And it's, it's a yeah. journey and it's a process of a of coming to terms with that loss, I would say, right? Yeah. Living with her or, you know, seeing her can also be enormously advantageous. I would say there's both because you definitely want to have support though, you know, a coach and or a therapist to help during that because it can be very triggering. But when you're interacting with her, it can actually be really helpful. What do I mean by that? Well, you can start to have this new awareness in real time that she's not showing up, you know, you can see that hope build and then it get crashed over again. And so you can start to practice showing up for that child. It's like you disrupt that place where the child in you is looking to the mother, your mother, like wanting something. You can start to pivot that inner child towards you as the adult self, the inner mother and be like, I'm here to meet your needs now. 
you know? Mm-hmm. So it's almost like this rupture and repair that's always an opportunity. Anytime there's a rupture, which is painful, whether it's with our partners or with our mothers or whoever, we can repair that through, you know, that gap where they don't show up is where we show up for ourselves. It's like a practice that we keep doing. We strengthen that muscle of being our own primary for ourselves as us. Yeah. And I think that the key there is really that acceptance and having grieved that loss. Cause if we're still stuck in anger and are still very angry and upset and we feel like mom should be like, I shouldn't have to do this. She should do this. Right. Like when we're stuck in that place of anger, that is an indication to me that we haven't accepted, we haven't grieved it just yet. Yeah. You know, what I tend to do in that position when people are stuck on a surface level situation is to keep bringing it deeper. What's the anger really about? The anger might be about how she should have done a lot of things in the past and your inner child is just really livid, like Mm -hmm. watching this take place again. And so if you can get to the root of what the anger really is from the early childhood context, Mm -hmm. it will actually release and much quicker. But if we stay on the surface level anger, it's just something that's just going to zap all your energy and it won't resolve itself. It's like the anger needs to resolve. And what typically happens is you need to put that anger where it really belongs, which is the anger of what you missed. And that anger is legitimate. And so it needs to be empathized with and seen as legitimate. Mm -hmm. And once it's seen and empathized with enough, usually it kind of dissolves because in that process of being seen, the child in you can feel that the new truth emerge, which is that you don't need her to actually do that for you anymore. You've mm-hmm. got an increasingly strong internal mother energy that can validate and soothe you even in the face of all of her shortcomings and how she failed you. It is, it's, it's a slow really, process. It's a journey. It's so a, it's a much. journey and it is work and it takes conscious effort, but it is worth it. And I think about like all of those who are listening and who, you know, can resonate with this experience and are really feeling like desperate and motivated to break cycles and do things differently. And I commend you for one, even wanting and seeking out healing because that in itself is such a courageous decision to make. Mm -hmm. And two, to know that uh, healing takes time and it is a process. And there's no, you know, like rushing through it necessarily. And there's no right way. But that even in in doing the work to heal, you are inherently breaking cycles and doing things differently, right? Like in doing this work in yourself, you are breaking the cycle from perpetuating. And that is a beautifully chaotic and difficult thing. Yeah. I have so much respect for moms who are on doing parenthood consciously. Like I'm so in awe of the dignity and the majesty of women who were, you know, didn't get enough for themselves, but they are filling their own well enough to try to give enough to their kids. I think there's nothing holier or harder, (laughs) you know, and, and more important for the world. So I feel an enormous gratitude and just awe for the moms who are, committed to their healing because you're modeling something so massive for your own kids and you won't do it perfectly and you won't complete it. This is generational work. So all you have to do is your piece and as much as you can and let that be enough. You know, I love that. Where can people find you? Where can they purchase your book? Where do you hang out online? All of these things. Yeah. So my book just came out last week. It's called Discovering the Inner Mother, A Guide to Healing the Mother Wound and Discovering Your Inner Power. So this book just came out. You can get it anywhere books are sold, your local bookstore or anywhere online. And that's a great introduction to my work, but you can also go to my website. I have a free ebook that kind of talks about the mother wound. My website is bethanywebster.com. I'm also really active on Instagram and I have a free Facebook group. So if you're kind of like, oh, I want to check this out and maybe hang out with other women, we've got a really curated Facebook group that has lots of my content and conversations. So you can join that on Facebook, just type my name in and you should find it. And also I have courses and coaching as well. So you'll find all that at bethanywebster.com. Yeah. And we'll make sure to link that in the show notes in the episode description for anyone who wants to seek you out and find all of that. So thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you so much, Erica. This has been a fabulous conversation and thanks to everybody listening. 
I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description. Or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.